1: horrible here no one is the same here nothing Nothing is
0: the same here people seem to want everything and expect every need to be fulfilled what is happening you're all strangers to me right now all of you you're embarrassing and you're exhausting
1: Welcome to The Playlist Podcast, the weekly discussion of films and TV. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And this week, as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mike D'Angelo and Brian Farber. How are you guys doing this week?
2: Doing well. How about you, Brian? Doing very well. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. Hey, I'm here. For Great. <laughs>
1: so, So this week, we're going to talk about The Sound of Metal, which is hitting select theaters this weekend and will arrive on Amazon Prime Video on December 4th. Then we're going to discuss The Nest, which is now available on VOD and Blu-ray, and during our discussion, we'll actually be joined by filmmaker Sean Durkin to talk about the film, which is already getting awards recognition. But before we get to that, I do have to be a little transparent with the listeners for a second. Uh, Just before recording this podcast, news about when and where you can see Wonder Woman 1984 was revealed, and we're going to talk about... That first, before we get to the movies, because this is news that might send theaters into full-on panic mode. Uh, So we're going to jump right into that discussion right after I get into my spiel. The Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes The Discourse, Be Real, The Fourth Wall, and more. And as always, if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. Okay, guys. Wow. Wonder Woman 1984. Yes. First of all, what is the current subscription
3: status for HBO Max for you, Mike and Brian? I have it for free, so I'm not even paying for it right now. Nice. Uh, uh, yeah. So great. Uh, all the better for me.
1: Brian, HBO Max? Uh,
3: that—that's a negative for me, but I—I
2: um, I, I will be making the jump at some point. I mean, just to get ready for Justice League and the other content I'm seeing, I—I I, I should get on that train eventually but there are just only so many streaming services i can subscribe to at this point
1: <laughs> i completely understand that but sure. i'm
2: going to go on a limb and say that you're going
1: to get hbo max by christmas time yes. because uh just to get everyone up to speed the news was revealed that warner brothers is releasing wonder woman 1984 on christmas day simultaneously in theaters and hbo max uh while that news is surprising enough Perhaps the most shocking part is how it was announced. Um, You see, WB accidentally leaked a trailer on the studio's YouTube page that spilled the beans about the release. And before they could take it down, people actually watched the trailer and started circulating the news about when it was going to be released. Of course, then Warner Brothers had to come out and confirm that this is actually happening. And then the leaked trailer was finally released officially. All that to say, WB botched the announcement that very well might be the hardest hit for theaters in 2020 and could result in financial devastation for the theatrical release industry. Uh, so that's a bit of a bummer. So, uh, Mike, what do you make of all this? Wonder Woman coming out Christmas Day on, on both theaters and streaming. And are you as shocked
3: as everybody else? Uh, I mean, I was, I was thinking that it was, it was possible. Um, I wasn't sure if they'd actually pulled the trigger. I, I, my thoughts were that it would just get pushed again, likely to the summer. And, you know, it would be like two, two and a half years out from where it was originally supposed to uh, be released. Um, but honestly, for me, as someone who just wants to see the movie and enjoy it, I have no problem uh, with it, you know, being released on both at, at the same time. I'm not sure I'll make the trip the trek out to uh, a theater as you know we live in uh, ground zero for for COVID nation right now but um I have a 75-inch 4K TV I got pretty good surround sound I'm I'm pretty happy watching it uh, from the comfort of my home yeah,
1: uh, just so people know, he referenced where we are recording, and we all live in Milwaukee, uh, yeah. Wisconsin, which, again, is pretty much the worst state in the world right now if you want to avoid COVID. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, uh, are you going to trek out with the whole fam to go see Wonder Woman in theaters?
2: Uh, no, no, definitely not. I, I'm really in agreement with Mike on, on just about everything he said that, yeah, I'll be watching that from home as well. Not entirely shocked by this news. When I first heard this, my my initial thought was, well, this is this is it. There's just no way that that Chains can survive into the new year. Now that you know they've they've pulled essentially the last big release. That said, they I, mean, I mean, technically haven't. They technically haven't. They're giving haven't. people
3: the option. Yes. But, uh, really, they had to get it to a wider audience. If they're not going to move, then they have to use it as some sort of way to up their subscriptions on HBO Max, which I wouldn't say is fledgling. It's certainly growing its audience, but it wasn't growing to the point where they were competing with the the other streamers. So
1: no, the, the problem with HBO Max, uh, to, to go off on a bit of a tangent, because again, this movie is going to be available the same day as in theaters on HBO Max for free uh, with the price of subscription, obviously. So the thing about HBO Max is it's, it's doing fairly well, especially for a new... Um, streaming service, except everything's skewed because Disney Plus is doing just amazingly well. And it makes yeah, yeah. even the most okay release or uh, launch look kind of bad. So HBO Max, to save face, again, they have to report to investors like all these major corporations. They have to like do something. They need a shot in the arm. They need a stunt. And Wonder Woman 1984 seems to be that stunt. Um, I also want to read from the statement from uh, the head of Warner Brothers... Uh, I believe his name is Jason Kyler. He says, uh, we see an opportunity to do something firmly focused on the fans. Give them the power to choose between going to their local cinema or opening on HBO Max. Super fans will likely choose both. So with that quote in mind, Mike, Mm -hmm. Brian, myself, I like to consider us all fairly nerdy and and fans of these comic book movies. Mm Sure. Sure but uh, myself like you we're we're all just going to stay at home right there's yeah. there's no way yeah. we're going to spend money on a movie that's available on
3: a streaming service true yeah especially so, with the the means that we have to to watch these things so uh, it's, yeah it's going to hurt theaters horribly is this is, yeah.
1: yeah is this a move is it is Warner Brothers sticking it to theaters basically cuz before uh, to to harp on what you said earlier mike you said that you know there were other options people were talking about and one of the options was to to delay the movie like everything else is right wait mm-hmm. until the vaccine takes hold everybody gets it theaters are back to normal quote unquote or another rumor that was going around was that they would do a christmas day release in theaters exclusively keep it there for like three four weeks and then go pvod not on hbo max or maybe even hbo max uh but still give it like that month in theaters this way theaters aren't getting anything uh
3: yeah this this seems like kind of the worst case scenario right for for exhibitors absolutely yeah, yeah they're they're probably in panic mode right now um if they weren't already before obviously they you know this is just the last nail in the the quote unquote coffin but i'm hoping that someone steps in and and helps exhibitors survive throughout this obviously the big chains are are probably going to still make it through it's not like we're going to come out of covid and not have a theater to go to uh, but uh, like we were talking about before this happened, those those small chains that we all love to go to and and, you know, uh, spend our money at those those mom and pop theaters that, you know, uh, really preserve the old school theatrical experience. Those ones, the they might not be around. And that's sad to yeah. see.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the real thing, uh, the real thing to worry about. Are, um, the National Association of Theater Owners, um, the CEO of that organization, said that 70% of the small and mid-sized uh, theaters will be either facing bankruptcy or closing their business by January if things don't change. And this was before Wonder Woman uh, was announced to, to go to streaming. So, I mean, at this point, Brian, you said it there there are no more movies coming out in 2020 that are going to move the needle one way or another right these yeah no. uh, <laughs> these are movies that are coming out that are great right there we're going to talk about a couple that are hitting theaters but for the most part and these aren't blockbusters which you know these these exhibitors have uh, kind of hitched their wagon to these superhero blockbusters so to to have nothing like that on the horizon and to now have 2021 kind of be make or break time like will these movies in january stick around we don't know that's super scary and we we, if you live in a small town and you don't have access to an amc or a regal you are in some trouble if you like going to the
2: movies i will say the the first thing i did when i heard this news is i immediately googled um the the two major chains at least around here which are marcus Um, Again, here, in Upper Midwest, Marcus Theaters, and then AMC, just to see how good old AMC is doing. And I will say it's nice to see that uh, here in Wisconsin, they did authorize several million dollar grant for four movie theaters. And it looks like Marcus is going to be receiving a portion of that, uh, which is good. But in that same article, they also admitted that not every theater is going to get that. So, yeah, those mom and pops, not every single one of those is going to get that. And the there were some theater owners that were quoted as saying, yeah, this is nice, but it's we're still facing a very tough start to next
3: year. So it's
2: almost like a bandaid. And um, yeah, Yeah. Art
3: (laughs) house might be completely streaming by. Yeah. Whatever it is. That's
1: that's a scary thought, especially for for listeners of this podcast, who, you know, we we do enjoy those movies that you kind of have to hunt and find in theaters, you know, and and. As theaters dwindle, opportunities for those movies to shine are, are going to start to dwindle as well. And Brian, just to, to piggyback on what you said there, uh, Marcus is the number five chain in the country, I believe. Is it so, number five? Wow. Number five, yeah. Uh, they so the, to to lump them in with uh, the the mom and pop places, while it seems smaller compared to AMC and Regal, and they surely are uh they're still doing much better than than the other ones. So even them getting a little bit of that grant money, while you know it's nice to see any theater get money, it's a little bit of a bummer that, you know, a, a multi-million dollar corporation will take it from still a smaller theater.
3: True. Yeah. 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 True. And it's not like I I mean, I know you're making it sound like, you know, mom and pop shops close, indie movies are gonna have harder time, but really streaming has stepped up in a big way as we're going to talk about one of the, the movies that we're talking about today is a, an AMC movie. It's going to be streamed on prime uh, Amazon, come December. Or, yeah. Amazon prime. I'm sorry. And, and, and it, it will receive a, a, a larger audience because of it. So it's not like these movies aren't receiving or aren't being made and aren't being seen. It's just the landscape is completely changing. So uh, yeah.
1: With that in mind, I want to read uh, a tweet by Patty Jenkins, um, the director of Wonder Woman 1984. She she wrote kind of, you know, it was hopeful, as you would expect the director of a Wonder Woman movie to be, but also a bit uh dour
3: (laughs) as as well she's uh, on one side of this argument yeah
1: for sure she says uh the time has come all in caps at some point you have to choose to share any love and joy you have to give over everything else we love our movie as we love our fans so we truly hope that our film brings a little bit of joy and reprieve to all of you this holiday season however she then says watch it in theaters and she put that in theaters in all caps and underlined (laughs) <laughs> where it made safe to do so. Check out the great work theaters have done to make it so, and available in the safety of your own home on HBO Max, where it is not. So you have the director of this movie uh, saying, like, forget HBO Max, please go to theaters, because yeah. she is fully aware that, that theaters need this. And it almost sounds as if she's a little bit, like, you know, uh, maybe disagreeing with WB's move here. Uh, Gal Gadot also tweeted that you can watch it in theaters, again, all caps, They're doing an amazing job keeping it safe and you can watch it in HBO Max from your homes. So even Gal Gadot saying, please, you know, let's let's do something for theaters. And it feels like the only people saying, you know, hey, you'll have it on HBO Max is uh, Warner Brothers. So that's a bit disheartening.
3: Hey, I I mean, I get it. They've had this content on the shelf for a long while. Fans are clamoring for it. They need a punch in the arm for HBO Max. Uh, They're going to take a hit financially, but they're already taking a hit. So why not just... uh, throw it up there and, and see what it can do until, you know, the next big thing arrives, which will likely be Justice League Snyder Cut.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's crazy to think that, you know, HBO Max is uh, is banking on Wonder Woman and Zack Snyder to, yeah, to yeah. really <laughs> carry the excitement for a streaming service. It's, uh, boy, we live in strange times. But <laughs> before we wrap up, I do want to uh, clarify one thing, because, again, this is breaking news As we record this, so Deadline is also saying, uh, Deadline, one of the, the major trades who reported the news about this change, Deadline also is reporting that they hear the movie will actually only be on HBO Max for 30 days before it'll be removed from the streaming service and only seen in theaters for 30 more days. And then after 60 days total, it'll go to premium video on demand where people will have to pay to watch it. Uh, apparently this weird, very confusing situation is the only way that Warner brothers could get the go ahead from the major chains to, to release it on streaming early. So what, what are your thoughts on that? I know it's confusing, but again, HBO max maybe might only get this movie for 30 days and then it'll go back to theaters and PVOD.
3: Yeah. At that point, the damage will have been done. 30 days, oh, yeah. <laughs> everybody who wanted to see it will have seen it. And if they miss that window for some reason, they're probably just going to wait for the PVOD window. Uh-huh. Uh, I I can't imagine that that 31st day, it's going to be, you know, crowds in the theaters again. Uh, they're just, they're taking what they can get, it seems.
1: And, and really, it's the studio has the cards, right? Like, yeah, the the they have no reason to listen to AMC and and Cinemark and Regal right now. Well, Regal isn't even open, so yeah, let's let's make that very clear. In the US, Regal's closed completely, and the CEO recently said that they would not open just for Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. So, there's it's it's highly unlikely that Regal's going to reopen before this movie comes out. So when we talk about theaters it's it's going to be limited run anyway. So yeah, it's this seems like Warner Brothers kind of throwing them a bone, like admitting like hey, we're kind of screwing you guys over but here you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's some pennies. That's that's all... has <laughs> it. Oh, and, and again we're we're laughing but it's almost like distressed laughing, right? Like this is
0: <laughs> we all love
1: movies and we really want the theater uh, industry to to survive and it is not looking good no
3: but regardless uh, you know the the fanboy in me the person that grew up with you know these uh, with wonder woman and you know all the the characters that are being released on hbo max uh, i'm happy to hear that it's finally you know on the horizon and that it's concrete and we're we're going to see it christmas day
2: i have to actually very much agree with that um you know as long as the content keeps coming i mean there was definitely this part of me that thought well theaters you know going the way of the dodo um we're just going to see less and less releases as time goes by but if these streaming services essentially pick up the slack um and keep funding these these projects that that we care about and seeing these characters just in a different medium there's not much to complain about other than like we've said the loss of that theater experience that we just that we all grew up with that's really a part of us so yeah i'm excited for that reason as well mike i'm i'm i just want to see the movie but you know and then it, at, at what cost at that yeah.
1: that's that's the thing is is, is uh, uh, would you have rather waited 6 months to see it in theaters when everybody can make the money that they're supposed to or or you know, whatever. That's that's, that's all the a question. theory, though. I think right, right. Again, just, again, it's all hypothetical. It. Yeah. But you know, I, personally, I would have preferred to see this in theaters. Yeah. It, it, I will have. There will be the option to see it in theaters because even though you know, we do live close to an AMC, we I'm sure Marcus will have it too. There will be that option, but I just I can't for I can't risk it for myself personally but also I just can't see myself spending money on something I can get for essentially free. And, and that's, and that's a bummer because I, again, I should be the guy in line buying a ticket, but Warner brothers, man, you're not making it easy for me to help. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's cheer up a little bit and talk about a very, uh, hard hitting drama.
0: Uh, so (laughs) cheer
1: up and talk about
3: some ailing relationships. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Um, but but this is uh, at least theaters are dying because of this. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about two movies today that are coming out before Christmas. And these two movies are also being uh, widely regarded as serious awards contenders. And one of them, of course, is The Nest, which uh, we're going to talk with director Sean Durkin. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about The Sound of Metal. The Sound of Metal is written and directed by Darius Marder and stars Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook. The film tells the story of a heavy metal drummer that loses his hearing. He then has to figure out how to live his life as a deaf person, joining a new community while also having to juggle his relationship with his girlfriend and make sure that he stays sober through it all. Uh, as you might have guessed, this is definitely a drama and a brutal one at that. Uh, So I want to start with Brian on this one. Uh, You have a unique perspective on this film. Uh, For those who don't know, Brian's a a drummer himself, and you've been looking (laughs) forward to this film for a while. So uh, what did you think? Did it check all the boxes for you?
2: Well, you are right. I've been looking forward to this one for well over a year. Um, Just when I first heard about it, I think it was in September of last year, and the the reviews it was getting, I just could not wait to see this movie. And and then it just kind of disappeared for a while. I didn't know what was going on, but I was always very vigorously searching for any news I could on it when I finally heard it was hitting streaming. Uh, this year, before the year was over, I was thrilled. You are correct, I am a drummer. And with this film dealing with hearing loss, and, you know, it really, just the premise hit home. And I, I played in bands for a lot of years, and it was only in the last few years that I really started to pay attention to to my hearing and to wearing earplugs and things like that. And I did notice a difference. Um, thankfully, I think I've stopped before it maybe became a problem. I mean, there were certainly shows I would do where I, my ears would be ringing for a very long time afterwards. So just the premise of this film, a drummer who goes deaf was, wow, this is really, really speaking to me. And I will say that the first act of this film really shook me and I'm going to just say that Riz Ahmed is quite excellent throughout the film uh, Olivia Cook is great uh, but I mean I watched this with my wife and we only made it through that first act and I remember after it was done having to actually she fell asleep and I had to actually go and just be by myself for a while because I was just so I, just so blown away by it then the second act occurred. And, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> and then we're entering into a very different movie. Now, I'm gonna say not necessarily a bad one, but just very different when he goes to this, you know, community with other hearing impaired individuals and you know Who also his life.
1: happen to be addicts, right? Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes. And there, I mean, again, Riz just fantastic. Really, the drumming is reserved for the first part of the film. That's always something I enjoy is seeing actors, you know, trying to be drummers. And I will say in his drumming scenes, he does a good job thrashing away. I mean, what would you guys really quick, quick sidebar? What would you say that the music of their band was? Uh, Noise uh, metal. Noise (laughs) metal? (laughs) No, No, that sounds
1: silly, but that's no, I would say it's definitely noise metal. Um, Yeah. So noise. If if you guys want to go to Spotify and search noise Music. It's (laughs) uh, very much uh, a one-singer, percussionist, guitarist, just playing the craziest stuff.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, that there is a lot of good stuff that happens in that second act, and you know, certainly he undergoes a transformation. You think some things are going to happen that don't end up happening. That's something I will say about the movie overall: is that you you think at any moment that things just completely fall apart for this guy that. And it just keeps happening over and over and over again. And it's a very, I will say, interesting part of the film when he's at this, this, you know, with this, with these people and trying to adjust to this new life of his. And then the third act occurs and we're kind of in a different movie again. And
1: be careful about spoilers. FYI,
2: Yes. Uh, So I'm going to I'm going to stop right there just to say that it felt like three very different films that somewhat worked, but also, you know, in some ways didn't work. I would have loved to have seen a movie that was just had the sheer intensity and and I will just say horror of the first act. Uh, I wouldn't have minded one that focused on the second act because I thought that was really interesting, but but then from there, I was I, I gotta be honest, I kind of checked out. and I did watch the whole thing. um but i I mean were it not for, for the performances. I mean, all across the board, the whole cast, even the supporting characters were great. There's just a lot of things that are touched on here and there that aren't really explored further. There's, you know, yeah, you mentioned the addiction part of it. I felt like that was, that could have been explored more. I would have really loved more background on, on the, the two main characters. Um, maybe that was unnecessary. I don't know, but I, I'm just going to say again, the first part of this movie is is almost too good. Uh, <laughs> barely do I have an experience where i'm I'm that shook up by it, where I, like after seeing that those scenes, I was just sitting by myself, like just thinking, Wow, I can't believe i I'm so happy. I still have my hearing. Like because it really is pretty frightening, not just from a drummer perspective. I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but it he sure. he does it well. They described him as an owl at one point, just with his shell shocked look that he wears throughout a lot of the film. And I would agree. He does look pretty scared.
1: Yeah. Uh, So uh, just to, to build off that I wrote in my notes, the first 30 minutes of this movie might be the scariest non horror (laughs) film all year. Like, yeah, I found myself at, at certain points, like holding my breath, like not even understanding why just the, the tension and the anxiety of watching this guy go through this was unbelievable and riz ahmed and olivia cook in those first 30 minutes they're basically the entire movie in, in the first act and they're just their chemistry is off the charts it's incredible. they're so good yeah
2: they're so good
1: i and, am
3: going to spoil the fact that olivia cook has bleached eyebrows and it just took me a real <laughs> well, long time to like yes catch I up agree. to who she was because of it yeah, it it's a bit shocking.
1: Eyebrows are one of those things that, that when you see somebody has either shaved them off or bleached them, it's it's kinda jarring for sure. But uh <laughs> eyebrow <laughs> eyebrow style aside, she's incredible. And yes. yeah. And and my big complaint uh echoes yours, Brian. I wanted more of the first 30 minutes. I wanted that act to last a lot longer. I wanted to see more about the relationship, which I think is it's touched on. It's a huge part of the first part. And then, like you said, the second act, it kind of goes to the background a bit. And then it comes back for the third act a bit. And, and I wanted more background for these people. I wanted to know more about his struggles with addiction. I wanted to know more about how they met because, uh, without getting into spoilers, you do find a bit more about both of them towards the end of the movie. And it seems like, you know, it's very confusing how these two people came into each other's lives. And, and I, I wish I would have known more because I wanted to live in that first 30 minutes, the whole movie as, as heartbreaking and horrific as it is. That to me was just incredible. And the, the second act, like you said, it's mainly him at this, uh, this community where he has to learn everything. He has to, they joke, he has to learn how to be a deaf person. Um, and, (laughs) and it's, it's touching. It's, beautifully acted there's an actor who plays opposite Riz Ahmed who plays the gentleman who Joe who uh I guess runs the community his name's uh Paul Racy, I believe he's incredible he has one scene towards the end of the movie which is utterly heartbreaking
0: oh, and
2: I know what scene you're talking about yeah yeah it's
1: it, it, it that shook me too and then uh all of the actors I don't again there are a lot of people that uh you would have to imagine come from the community in their real lives you know, these untrained actors, or maybe they are trained actors, but either way, they do incredibly well, every single one of them. And then you get to that third act, like you said, and, and we're not going to spoil anything, but it is, uh, it's probably going to determine how much you like this movie or dislike this movie. Yeah. Myself, uh, I reacted to it probably a little bit better than than Brian. Um, I thought the, the end of this movie was uh, kind of a gut punch uh, in all the right ways. And, yeah, so I liked it a lot. Uh, Mike, you also yeah. are a musician. You don't play the drums that I know of. Maybe you do <laughs> Stood it in front fun. of him for
3: a lot of years. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so as the Olivia Cook in this situation, what did you think?
3: <laughs> I am so glad I get to bleach my eyebrows. Uh, let's see here. So I, I kind of, I feel very differently about this than both you and Brian in that I think the, the movie as a whole works really well. Um, and I think Brian, you did yourself a disservice by not watching it all the way through in one sitting, just because yeah. it's, it's it's one of those things where you have to experience it all at once to to kind of have that whole journey. But you know, for me, I I thought you know I, yes, I would have liked more information that you guys were talking about. I would have liked the, you know if that movie was just the the first thirty minutes extended. But it's not that movie. And I think, you know, stripping away expectations is kind of important here. I didn't really have many expectations going in. I didn't even watch the trailer for it. I just knew of it. I've seen that still of Riz sitting behind the drums. And I was just like, I'm in. I don't need to see anything else. So I avoided it
1: to interject and, the trailer for this movie is incredible too if if people haven't seen this trailer you really should go and see this trailer or not because I, you know i, I really enjoy <laughs> it without it uh, i i'm a, i'm a fan of a quality trailer because we get yeah. so many terrible trailers uh and as somebody who has to write
3: about these terrible trailers all the time it always makes me happy when i see a good one yeah but anyways uh so yeah riz is phenomenal in this olivia cook great paul racy uh, really, really solid. But really, this this movie is all Riz Ahmed. This is his movie, um, and everybody else is just kind of floating around him. And you get to experience uh, almost exactly what it's like to lose your sound without losing it. So oh. it, it was so visceral in that first thirty minutes. Uh, and he's not only stripped, you know, of his hearing; he's stripped of everything that is his identity. Yeah. So you get to watch this guy wrestle not only with just losing your hearing and trying to figure out how to live. You you, he's stripped of his drumming, which is his identity. He's stripped of his girlfriend, which is his, you know, his his world basically beyond that. So him just learning to be a human being and Riz just blowing that performance out of the water, I, I think this is best actor material. So I, I really, really like the movie. I, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't call it, you know, the movie of the year or anything. I haven't seen enough to know that, but it's one of my, you know, definitely in my top 10 list so far. And I, I thought it was phenomenal. I really, really, really liked it. Yeah.
1: I, I, I want to agree to, I, maybe I was a little bit harsh in, in how I explained it, but I definitely, like this movie from beginning to end and it's, it's going to be in my top 10 without a doubt. And and right now it's in my top three of the year for sure. Mm -hmm. And it is because of Riz. Uh, Brian, do you have any more thoughts?
2: Uh, No, I mean, I will say that that there are moments in the third act that, that are still pretty, (laughs) (laughs) pretty darn good. And, and just overall, I mean, just like you guys have both touched on that. There are moments where you, you really do feel like, like you feel like you're in his shoes. The the way they play with sound in this film is so unique. Um,
1: I'm glad you with, mentioned that.
2: The sound design's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, really, really interesting. Yes, I mean, even that moment where, because it is a moment where he just, where the sound is is gone. You immediately feel it, to the point where like, I, is there a ringing in my own ears right now? Um, the, the deafness or the silence in this film, is. It, it's almost too quiet, not to the point of like <laughs> you're afraid, just to the point of, wow, this is what what this feels like. Um, paul Racy, great. And did you guys know that he uh, he performs in a Black Sabbath tribute band that does American Sign Language? Did you know that?
1: <laughs> of course, that you know. That is incredible.
2: A little trivia, old paul old
1: I, I will admit I knew nothing about him. I yeah. the only going into this movie, I was very much like Mike. I'd watched the trailers. So I knew Roz, Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook were in it, but and and the basic premise. But every other actor really kind of surprised me. Yeah, yeah. Brian, <laughs> did you have another uh, thought or anything before we move on?
2: Um, just that I mean, it is you are probably correct, uh, Mike, that I, I I will watch it again. There's no question about it. I don't know when. It's not going to be anytime soon. But I will take this in in one sitting, and I have a feeling I'll probably enjoy it more. This is not a movie that's easy to digest by any means, and it's one of those movies that I've seen a few like this, especially over the past maybe four or five years, where it's less a film, more of an experience. And I really would have loved to have seen this one in theaters. I, I think that would have been really interesting.
1: I'm glad uh, you brought that up because uh, I wanted to to ask this question of you guys, too, before we stop talking about this movie. It's getting a theatrical release. And, and I found out that it is playing actually near us in one of our local uh, indie theaters, which is nice. But um, for the most part, this is a movie that people either A, don't know it exists uh, unless you read our website or are involved in the film community. Or uh, B, you won't have access to it. So, um, it's, it's going to Amazon in December, uh, December 4th, I believe. So are you afraid that a movie like this that should be seen in theaters, uh, is going to be thrown onto Amazon prime and maybe get lost in the shuffle? Yes.
3: It it depends how they roll it out. I I mean, I think it, it is really super effective either way. They did a really good job with it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, just watching it on, on my couch, I was sucked in, you know, pretty instantly. So I don't know that the experience is going to be, you know, really hurt, but hopefully they do a a good enough job of, you know, drawing, drawing uh, some audience to it and not just kind of throwing it, you know, in, in some queue. Uh, Hopefully it gets, I wouldn't expect the, the rollout that they gave Borat, but hopefully it gets something.
2: Yeah. I've, I, I could not agree more. Um, I, I definitely think it needs to be seen, and I, I would hate for this one to to get buried. I, I'm legitimately concerned, and I think that this will, you know, we've had a number of other films this year that have gotten shifted to video on demand and these streaming services, and I think as, as time goes by, how much marketing the studios decide to put into these films is it's going to be interesting to see. This one in particular, I will be very curious. I really hope it doesn't get lost, but I'm afraid that it will.
1: Yeah, and just to to put context to this, it, Amazon is the, the company who uh, is distributing this. They're doing it on Prime Video. They oh, Over the course of the pandemic, in the early days of the pandemic, they purchased My Spy, the Dave Bautista movie, Yeah, uh, and that was going to be a major theatrical release, and Personally, and this might be anecdotal, I completely forgot that it was on Amazon Prime Video. And this is a movie <laughs> that, you know, we were gonna cover and, and all of that. And I feel like that movie got lost in a shuffle. And it, it worries me because that was probably a movie that cost tens of millions of dollars to make. And this is clearly an indie movie from a first-time director. And it, it worries me that this is a difficult movie to to really hook people on. And then, you know, depending on how you market it and, and promote it, it you know, it could very easily just get lost. and That's a bummer.
3: Yeah, it could, but those two are very, very different beasts. The, my spy and the sound of metal. I mean, I think my spy was a, a bomb waiting to happen that Amazon kind of saved and, you know, sound of metal, hopefully, I mean, it's being dropped in award season. And I think I, I would have to think Riz Ahmed is going to get talked about this award season. Um, so it, it, it has to get, you know, some, some clicks for them. Um, at least from, you know, the people that are interested in, you know, any kind of awards movies, uh, you know, this time of year. So I I like to think that it's going to find its audience because it's it's available on one of the biggest platforms out there. So I'm, I'm really keeping my fingers crossed for it. I'm rooting for this one.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I think we all are. And um, on that note, I want to uh, transition from one good movie to another in my eyes. Uh, the final film we're talking about tonight is... Uh, the Nest. Uh, the Nest is a film that's written and directed by Sean Durkin, who will be joining us in a bit. It stars Jude Law and Carrie Kuhn as a married couple that make the tough decision to uproot their lives in the U.S. and move to England for a better job opportunity. However, as is quickly revealed in the movie, the, the move starts to take its toll on the couple and their two kids and tensions grow and eventually boil over. Uh, Mike, let's start with you on this one. What did you think of The Nest?
3: Yeah, I'm going to put on my my Brian Farver hat and (laughs) and say that I liked it, um, but I didn't you know, it was a weird experience for me. It's one of those movies that I've really wrestled with since I've uh, had my initial viewing of it. And I I think Jude Law and Carrie Coon are phenomenal. and, And that's pretty much in anything they do. This is no different And then there were there were absolutely, you know, fascinating scenes between the two of them or where uh, Carrie Coon would just flip and and be this enigmatic, you know, uh, firework that you couldn't take your eyes off of. And, uh, you know, it's 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 a cluster of of really interesting performances and scenes uh, in in a in a film that's ultimately. It's it's a very much a relationship kind of family movie. Um, well, I, I shouldn't call it a family. Movie, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was well, to correct <laughs> you.
1: It's definitely not a family movie. <laughs> yeah,
3: this is a nice little family film about uh, you know wreckage. Uh, so, but once they got over to England, I think it it kind of settled into what it really was, which was this kind of unraveling of who these two characters really were and what they really wanted, and uh, kind of. You know, watching their relationship for for better or worse take a really rough turn, and I, I think it's Jude Law plays an amazing, amazing dirtbag. Like he's so <laughs> charismatic that even when he's a freaking douche, you love to watch it. And Carrie Coon is just bouncing off the screen in this one for me. Like when she really lets go, I'm, I'm, I was just fascinated by it. You know, she had this like real duality to her character that I really appreciated. But, you know, beyond that, you know, their kids were fine. (laughs) <laughs> there, there, were, <laughs> there were moments where you're, you're thinking this movie all of a sudden is a completely different type of movie, so the tone was kind of shifting in places, and there were kind of uh, random question marks that would pop up for me in, in certain places, like, is this a haunted house movie now, or wait, no, it's not? Are we, oh, we're not going to talk about it anymore? What's that going on over here that I'm not going to mention because of spoilers, but uh, it's just like... <sighs> It was a frustrating movie that had some really, really strong performances. So I, I have a real love hate with it right now. I I I think I have to watch it again, just to really wrestle with and and come to a finality with what my my feelings are. Uh, that's perfectly valid. Your feelings are valid,
1: Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Psycho. What are what are your feelings?
2: Oh, uh, I'm in agreement with with just about all of that. I mean, I Jude Law. Great, Very, I mean, he's just so <sighs> chameleon-like overall in whatever role he takes on. Um, he really, maybe it's it's the face. Maybe it's just his performance. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but he really is someone that you love to hate. I mean, even in uh, Captain Marvel, I felt the exact same way. He is so charismatic. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's great. I, I, Carrie Coon's awesome. I've, you know, been a fan of her since The Leftovers. Yeah, I, and... I will say that when they, they make their big transition, when their lives are uprooted, they move from America to England. The movie does get very atmospheric, which I think works.
3: The house well, is is really interesting. Like it, it had is. a vibe to it.
2: Yeah, it that is a, a very big part of this movie is the house or the, the mansion that they move into. Um yeah, I, I really did enjoy that. It helps the movie overall. I just feel like you know Jude and Carrie really, really uh, carried this film. Uh, see, <laughs> carried Carrie this film. We uh, are off
1: the reels officially.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in in a very good way though. I mean they they're they're just so good. It, it just yeah I I I just I, I guess just have to echo what Mike has said. Uh, it will be one I'll revisit at some point. It, it's I'll, it's just a lot to take in. I'll put it that way. It's a lot of movie to take in. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna get I'm you neither- a
3: shirt that says I agree with Mike. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Right.
2: with an uh, arrow to you, <laughs> and then I will stand next to you all the time,
1: <laughs> like a, a modified I'm with stupid.
2: That's right. That's right. Oh, and by the way, speaking of guys, really quick, uh, I found my novelization of Dumb and Dumber when I was cleaning the basement <laughs> recently, and it has them on the cover wearing their their I'm with stupid T-shirts, and it made me laugh.
1: Oh, gosh. We're going to have to do, with, with the news of Tarantino doing a novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we're going to have to do a whole episode of novelizations for you, Brian. The oh. great novelizations of films
2: past. Yeah. Uh, you, well, uh, we got to do it now. You can't tease me like that. <laughs> well, we,
1: get, we should probably wait until the novelization comes out. So Fine, fine. All right. Uh, teaser for a future episode. We're going to get deep into Brian's <laughs> love of novelizations. Uh, <laughs> so... For for my money, The Nest is a, a great movie. I I wasn't as uh, as torn about it apparently as you guys were. I I think what it comes down to is this is a movie, and not to draw a direct comparison because they're very different. But I think you'll you'll get an idea for what type of movie you're into if you think of a Marriage Story. Very um, much so. This mm-hmm. is a movie that, especially if you're a married person, can be uncomfortable to watch. This is Jude Law and Carrie Kuhn. Basically battling each other for all intents and purposes. Uh, Jude Law, Mike had mentioned, plays kind of this skeezy sales guy who you think is is only out for himself, but he he makes it seem like he's really out for everybody else. And it uh, he, he from the first moment, literally the first scene with Jude Law it opens the movie. You can see he puts on this mask that he wears whenever he talks to people. And and I think that's kind of what you wrestle with when you watch him. is you He is so charismatic because he's Jude Law. I mean, this is a guy who's a very handsome man. He's very well-spoken. He's got that British accent. And, you know, <laughs> he can sell you anything. And, and for most of the people in this movie, that's exactly what he does. He takes them all for a ride. And it is infuriating at times. Like, you feel like Carrie Coon, this woman who's married to this guy, who starts to see through his bullshit. And you're like... You want to, like, shake them and be like, you know, snap out of it. And I think especially if you've had a relationship where you can relate to any of this, this is a movie that's going to hit kind of hard, I think. Uh, and and it all boils down to Jude Law and Carrie Coon just really killing every moment of this movie. And there are moments with their children. We we kind of it's it's very easy to forget that they're part of this movie. Uh, They do play a large part, um, especially with adding to the tension between the husband and wife. just watching how this whole move affected their children, because early on, uh, Sean Durkin paints a picture of this family who seems to be doing pretty, pretty all right. The kids are happy. The the mother has this. uh, She's working with horses that she loves. It's like her passion. And Jude Law, the husband, uh, Rory, I believe his name, he comes to them and says, yeah, about all that. We're going to we're going to stop that and we're going to move to England where you guys don't know anything. And it's yeah, it's it's a movie that is tough to watch at times because it's so well acted. It's very moody, very atmospheric. And if you're okay with a married couple kind of falling apart in front of your eyes, it's a movie that you can kind of get lost in,
2: I think. There's some yeah. really good shots of Carrie um, where, you know, there there'd be some she'd realize something about about Jude that you know she just come to some realization. Like there's a scene early on at a party uh, after they've moved to England where I can't recall the exact um, situation, but it's just a very close, very slow zoom in on her as she's kind of seeing through her husband's uh, facade a little bit. Um, I love shots like that. Um, so it's just things like that where she's so good at, you know, realizing without speaking that, that her husband is just not, not what he, what she thought he was. So yeah. just little yeah. moments like that.
1: I agree. I think this movie and, and this could be frustrating for some who who want something very bombastic. This is a a reserved movie for the most part. These the the, the glances, the looks. It's a lot of like things unspoken. Right. Like mm-hmm. this isn't a movie that's going to have there's there's no Broadway aspect to this. There's no, you know, uh, performance, quote unquote. This is a very real sounding uh, relationship where. You you just get this feeling that there's so much tension, but it's never really spoken. I think there there are some blow-ups, of course, but it's uh, to compare it to Marriage Story, which the the very memeable scene with uh, Adam Driver. I would venture to say there really isn't <laughs> a a scene like that. There's no wall punching, so to speak.
3: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, but either way, Jude Law is is pretty fantastic, and the way that they pull that string of like. Okay, he's he's sort of douchey, but he's lovable. Okay, he's he's got a wh- little white lie here and there. Uh, he's fine, he's fine. I like him, but and then by the end, you're just like, I hate this guy. I fucking yeah. hate this guy. Um, but, but but again, they they get you there. They tease you to the point where
1: you're you're doing it. You're thinking like, yeah, I this guy is the worst, right? No, I kept thinking, I say that as a compliment to this. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not Jude Law's. Jude Law is not the worst. He's the best. His no, character me. is the worst. I kept thinking to Midsummer uh, last year, the oh, yeah. boyfriend character in Midsummer, who is just he's terrible. He's a dick. Like this is a guy who you could get easily sucked into his BS because he's so damn charming. But once you see through it, it just completely shatters the illusion, right? And and I think that's totally Jude Law's character in this movie, and and he does it yeah, so well. I agree. Great. So with that, <laughs> uh, now that we've talked about the movie, it's time that we invite writer-director Sean Durkin to the, to the podcast so that we can do a deeper dive into this. Joining us now is Sean Durkin, the writer-director of Martha Marcy May Marlene and his most recent feature, The Nest which debuted at this year's Sundance, is on VOD this week. Welcome to the Playlist Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And and before we get into the nest, I want to say congrats on the Gotham's announcement. Uh, Thank you. For people that don't know, both uh, Jude Law and Carrie Coon landed nominations for their acting, uh, well deserved, obviously. And uh, what are your thoughts on on seeing your two stars get some recognition?
0: Yeah, it's really exciting, especially for for both of them to get recognized because it is such a, you know, it was such an incredible collaboration, and they're both such a. Force in their own right in the movie yet also make this great very you know complete complicated couple so i was just so happy to see them both get recognized for that
1: yeah are you yeah. looking forward to this maybe leading to uh some more nominations down the line i mean this yeah. is a good start for sure you it's yeah, such a course. weird year of course
0: yeah you know it's and it's it's good just to you know it's it's always good to just you know, get the recognition and keep the conversation going. And um, I'm just really glad people are, are recognizing just how good they are. And they nope. are very
1: good.
3: Yeah, they're <laughs> outstanding. Um, Agreed. And it's been quite a journey from, you know, uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene in 2011 to The Nest. What would you say that journey has been like for you? And and uh, why would you say maybe the The Nest is what ended up getting made? you know, it's been almost a decade. How how has that experience been for you?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's been, um, it's been tough. It's been lots of ups and downs. I mean, yeah. I, I spent a couple of those years doing a big uh, it was a bit of an Epic undertaking of doing this big uh, mini series in England, South cliff, um, mm-hmm. uh, both physically production and emotionally dealing with a topic like that. Um, and then um Yeah, just a variety of projects, Um, you know, a couple of studios, uh, a couple not some TV stuff and, and all of it just, you know, fell through for different reasons. And I was kind of writing the nest alongside all of it. So it's been about four years writing the nest. And while I was working on these other things, and I think in the end, it's so funny, because I can't imagine anything else being my second feature now that I've made the nest. And I really didn't think it would be for a while. But I think it was you know my most personal movie and, and the thing I was working on was most personal, and so it kind of you know rose to the top at the at the right time and, and I also think that just the the people involved with it um, just were so supportive and just knew how to get it made and yeah. um, you know my producers were just incredible and, and, and really made it made it happen mm-hmm
3: did uh, Jude and and Carrie come on fairly early in the process or was that like when the wheels really started rolling is when they came on?
0: Yeah. I mean, we were kind of like, uh, so, so Rose Garnett and I, she was, she was the one who was developing it with me for years. um, And we were kind of sitting on it and, and and we weren't really talking about it to anyone. And, and, and I, and I did a draft um, in like late 2017 and I showed it to her and she just was like, this is ready. Let's, let's, do it and 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 I think we sent it to Carrie pretty soon after that, like February and then and then uh, Jude came on a little after that, so yeah within within a few months of sort of saying we're gonna go for this we um, we we were able to get them both on board.
1: I, I want to, uh, before we move on to the Nest Totally, you mentioned Southcliffe, and I, I think that's something that, at least in the U.S., not a lot of people are familiar with. It was, like you said, a, a four-part miniseries that you released, I think it was in 2013. What was it like coming off of your first directorial feature debut, gets a lot of acclaim, and then, you know, We got to remember this is 2013 when House of Cards was kind of just kicking off this sort of uh, streaming prestige drama thing. And, you know, David Fincher goes and does that. And then, you know, here you are making the leap to TV. Uh, did you feel like that was a
0: risky move? Is that something you were excited about? Um, no, I, what was yeah, that like? I was really excited about it. I I mean for me, T V film, it's it's no it's no different. I mean, it can be different because of the way things are constructed and people involved, but but in terms of the actual creation and the making, it's no different for me. It's like it's just a matter of what's the best format. And and to work on Southcliffe, it came at a time where I was just I just wanted great writing. I just wanted to work with great writers. I wanted to work with good people, and uh, Tony Grisoni was someone I really admired. And you know, he sent me this, and it just seemed like a no-brainer. I'd, I'd also wanted to go back to England. I'd, I'd had spent my childhood there and hadn't been back in twenty years, and and so doing something English was very important to me. And so it was the combination of those things, and also you know, I was I was a little burnt out, I think. By, you know, promoting a movie and, you know, awards stuff and, and those sorts of things. And, and um, I was really attracted to the idea that I could go and make this four part series direct the whole thing. It was very much it, it felt like a film. I mean, it was it was a fifty-two day shoot, and we shot it like a film out of order. There were no episodes, and there were also, you know, the, the television network. There was only two executives, and so it was just a very closed circuit. It was like making a movie, and I just liked the idea that I would go and make it, and it was all about the work, and it would air, and that was that. You know, that was really attractive to me. So it was it was everything
1: are you kind of bummed that it uh
0: didn't get the the like global release that these netflix series get now or what no no not at all i mean it did so well in england it it won the it got was the most nominated bafta show of the year and won for best actor and you know I, i didn't i didn't make it thinking that it would even come out over here honestly it was it was just about the work and it's such an it's such an important topic and and something that meant so much to me and something I'd wanted to do for years. Um, So it was just, it was just about the work. And I got to work with some of the best actors. uh, I think there are in that show. You said you spent some time in, in England
3: uh, growing up. So Mm -hmm. how much, obviously, you know, the nest deals a lot with, you know, an American family, kind of relocating over uh, to England. How much of that did you draw on your experience? How much was autobiographical?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, some of it for sure. I, I, in, in doing South Clip, I think I was reflecting on my childhood over there and reflecting on that move uh, because now, and when I went back for Southcliffe, I, I felt this, I was like, Oh, the difference between New York and London is not that different. But in 1993, it was very, very different. And so kind of reverse engineered it and backtracked and, and definitely started to reflect on my, my childhood and, and some of the details from that and then but you know as as you do as you're writing you know then sort of fiction takes over and and also like adult life takes over i think it started as a a reflection on childhood and then in the years uh writing it i became a parent and so then it comes equally reflecting on parenthood and you know my own colleagues and work experiences and and many many things
2: yeah, getting back to like Jude and, and Carrie, I mean, this film, it really hinges on their chemistry and just their acting ability. You know, we touched on that before. If those roles don't pan out, this film, I mean, it just falls apart, but they both knock it out of the park. Did you always have them in mind when writing this? How did they get involved? Like, what are your what's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't really think about actors when I'm writing I mean you know along the way obviously it's natural to sort of you know think oh maybe that person be good maybe that person but I really I really construct the character in my head in a, in a fictional sense and and not until it's done do I really cross that you know plane into like actually thinking about an actor so um so and and I also work really closely with my casting directors I've, I've one in, in New York and one in London and and um, I know a lot of people just, you know, like to make offers and things like that, but I, I always bring them in early to that process because I trust them so much and they know actors so well. And um and I worked in casting for years. I actually worked for Susan Shopmaker as my casting director. I was one of her assistants for years. So like I, I just trust the process and and so um we, you know, Susan and I were talking about uh Allison and and throwing around names and lists and things together. And then um, I think one day she just emailed me just one line saying Carrie Kuhn. And I was just like, yes, that's it. Of course. And I would met Carrie a couple of times um, through friends. And so it just, it just made sense. I just knew that she, she just has that power. And I, I just believed, you know, Alison is very much two things. And in a movie, Oftentimes humans are boiled down where they have to be one thing. And, you know, and I just knew she would be able to capture that duality, um, and really ground it. She's got that, you know, real Midwestern energy that you believe in the, in the farm and also the, the like glamor of going out and getting done up and, and that, and, and, um, and then with Jude, um, not dissimilar process, um, maybe it was a little longer um but i I got the script to him i had known his agent at a time for, for 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 working on another project and so it was sort of an easy conversation that way but but he was out in la and we met and just had a great conversation like day one on the same page and 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 it was a lot about um you know my concern was this character does a lot of questionable things or things that people would think would be questionable and I wanted to make sure that um, whoever playing Rory had a real love underneath the surface, a warmth and that he truly believes he's doing the best thing for his family even though it's not the best thing for his family and so and Jude wanted the same thing, it was one of the first things he talked about so we were immediately on the same page and I just felt that that warmth and love that Jude has as a person, he's very open that that would be under the surface of everything and that would really go a long way.
1: So uh it's kind of hinted in the movie that the house is somewhat responsible for things going on you know it's it's kind of even i believe at one point overtly said like you know this house is bad you know mm. and it, it is a creepy house there's no denying and and the film itself is shot sort of in this kind of psychological thriller, sort of like seventies, eighties horror vibe to it. Is that something you were looking at? Because without giving too much away, obviously this isn't a conjuring movie or anything like that. So uh, were you influenced by that kind of era of psychological thriller when making the movie and and kind of the look and feel or, you know, how much of that was, was part of going into it?
0: Yeah, definitely. But sort of, like the, I mean, those the movies that you know shape me were, you know, *Rosemary's Baby* and *The Shining* and the *Exorcist* and you know, uh, real horror where at the center there's an actual relationship and um, and not always overt, you know. And so that's there and 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 but I really did re- just want to make a family drama, and that was first and foremost. And so I focused on that, but I really followed the character psychology to enhance it with sort of uh, you know the cinematic language of, of of haunting because I believe that was truthful to the psychological experience that Allison would be having and 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 visiting houses like this. I mean, they don't need to be haunted to be scary. I mean, they just are. It just it's just. They're uncomfortable, they're cold, they're big, they echo, they make sounds, they change shape, they are very much alive. And the house we shot in is 750 years old, I think. And it's, I mean, you sit alone in that house, and it's like I'd sit sit alone in there on lunch break, you know, and it's like it's it's a it's crazy. It's uh it's got a very thick energy. And so while you know, not going to the place of haunting, it was the move itself and being in that house was having a similar effect that a haunting has in a, in a film, which is that it sort of shifts per- people's personalities. It drives families apart. It causes doubts. It, it um, people lose their footing and their grounding and, and don't trust each other, you know? So that's, that's how I saw it operating, which I, you know, really based. So in the naturalism of, of a family drama. So, you know, where. You know where Rosemary's Baby could be a reference like you know one of the biggest references for me would would be a film like shoot the moon or the ice storm
1: yeah I just uh the reason I thought of that is there's I mean there's a scene where uh the youngest child is is frightened by the house and and it's set up almost like well are they really gonna do like is there something (laughs) else
0: lurking around there
1: and uh you know it's it's definitely a family drama but but and the door scene as well
0: oh yeah yeah Yeah. the door scene too Yeah. And that, and that was, you know, and the door scene comes from this, this idea of like, okay, the door's opening. Why is it opening? And then it's like, well, you know, Rory comes home. Like (laughs) Rory's just, Rory's just, you know, Rory's just standing there kind of like a ghost appearing and the doors open. (laughs) And it's like, you know, so it's also that, and, and using that as like a mistrust, like then she's starting to not trust her daughter and she's yelling at her. And so um, it's, it's that sort of, you know, poltergeist messing with the family feeling but it's each other
3: we're not going to ask like is is it going to be 10 years to the next project we, we, <laughs> yeah, <it's okay. laughs> but we we would love to know what irons in the fire you have are is there anything coming up as far as you know uh, obviously your films aren't going to be like superhero blockbusters or anything like yeah. that but what kind of things do you are you interested in, in moving into
0: well look i'm really i'm i'm, I'm really really open and uh it, it's funny i the stuff that i've gotten attached to over the years has been a wide variety i mean you know, I almost made a film about Janis Joplin. I almost made a little house on the prairie. Um, you know, it, it's it's so it's so. I think when something great comes along, I jump at it. In terms of the stuff I'm I'm writing, um, I've got a couple of feature ideas, a couple of TV things in development. So I've got a lot, um, you know, a lot that I'm I'm working on. So yeah. Hopefully it won't be as long wait. Yeah, yeah. We, for for the sanity of film fans, please don't make it be another ten years. Um,
1: but uh, that being said, you mentioned you know we were joking about you doing like a superhero movie, you know, the new Avengers or whatever, which probably won't happen. But and then we can play this back when you get announced. But <laughs> but um, you know, you do make a a specific type of movie. You know, it's a it's a mid budget adult drama, rated R. These are movies that don't get a lot of the play anymore in in the industry. Is that something that you keep an eye on? Is that something that worries you? Uh, how do you see this kind of moving forward?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I I hadn't um I hadn't kind of thought about it in those terms, but yeah, I guess I guess you're right. I mean, I think I I, I sort of think that I have more types of movies in me. That's you know remains to be seen. <laughs> uh, but I I do worry about that, and it's a part of why it's so it's hard to get movies made like that you know and 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 that's a challenge but uh, I just I I can only in terms of what I generate I can only generate what I generate you know and I can only write what I write and you know I just will push really hard to try and collaborate with the right people who can get that made And, and hopefully I can you know do that and yeah keep keep pushing with 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 those things um but also really open to doing things that you may not expect based on based on the work we've seen so far so
1: right i mean you also have a long career as a producer too and, and a lot of the movies that you've produced or been executive producer on aren't you know the nest type of movies i, I think yeah. one of the more recent ones was the rental dave franco's yeah. movie and um you know that's completely different uh yeah. maybe not completely different but but pretty different tone wise and uh yeah, I just think that especially for the playlist and, and our listeners and readers, we enjoy movies like what you know, The Nest, you know, yeah. and uh, it's, it's, it's a scary thought to think that, you know, those movies are, are, are facing a little bit of trouble, especially with the pandemic and everything. So, yeah, we just we hope that uh, you don't have nearly the trouble over the next couple of years. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate Great. that. <laughs> But yeah, before we go, I just wanted to thank you for joining us today. Uh, We are big fans of The Nest. And uh, we hope that The Gothams is just stage one of uh, awards domination coming up. (laughs) Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. Again, we want to thank Sean Durkin for joining us and talking about his new movie. Remember, The Nest is available on VOD and home video or discs, whatever you guys buy nowadays, uh, right now. So definitely check it out. And before we wrap up, any last thoughts from you guys about... uh, the Wonder Woman stuff that we talked about, the death of movie theaters, Sound of Metal, The Nest. Brian, what do you think? Anything?
2: I mean, I'll just say enjoy the the content that's coming. Um, enjoy the films that are being shifted to VOD. If you can safely support a local theater, please do so, even if you're, it doesn't involve you going to the place. I mean, just whatever whatever funds you can throw their way, I'm sure they would appreciate the gesture if nothing else. Just try to keep that alive for as long as possible. But yeah, check out Sound of Metal. Please check out Sound of Metal because it's a trip, man. It's an absolute trip.
1: Yeah. To to echo what you said there, if you do want to support local theaters, a lot of uh, independent art houses especially are doing virtual cinemas where you can um, go through their website to, to rent a, a first run movie And they get a large portion of those proceeds. So that's one way of doing it without leaving your house. Mike, what about you? Anything? Any last
3: thoughts? Uh, I just, you know, uh, there's been a lot of messaging out there about, you know, how 2020 is a wash movie wise. But, you know, we're seeing and we're talking about movies that there's some good content out there and no matter what your taste is, we've kind of run the gamut here, whether you're someone who just wants to see wonder woman or you want the next, you know, Academy award, uh, you know, movie that's coming to a streamer, or you want to see, you know, this really interesting relationship drama. Uh, they're all coming. They're all still available. Uh, and you can, you can find them from the comfort of your home at this point, or very, very soon that, uh, for that matter. Uh, and 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 you can also support those mom and pop shops that might not be doing so well. So if you're able to to rent like the nest through through a mom and pop shop, absolutely go ahead and do it. If if that movie is, is up your alley, sound of metal, same thing. But, uh, you know, uh, Wonder Woman, that that's a whole other ball of wax that we got into at the beginning. Regardless, I just want to champion that there still is some good content in 2020. Uh, and you know, it's not a bad time to be stuck to your couch.
1: That's very true. And, and, uh, as we approach December now, I can't believe we're already halfway through November, but as we approach December, we're going to start seeing a lot of best of lists. And even though this is a very weird year at the playlist, we're still going to have all those best of lists. And you know, it's, it, it does show that there are quality things. You just. Unfortunately, you can't go to for the most part. You can't go to the theater and find them. You're just gonna have to do the the research and and search them out yourself. So, on that note, uh, as they both said, support your local theaters whenever possible, even if it means not going, but but still giving them money some way. Uh, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. So uh, thank you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.